Amen. If you have scripture today, we're turning to uh, such a great passage of scripture in the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. And um, I love this in my Bible because when I turn to Luke chapter 2 in my Bible, there is a, a, a hole uh, in the page, uh, on the other page. I know that's bad, um, but that's because I did a Christmas tour with Chris Tomlin and I held my Bible open for about 40 nights like that, night after night after night after night. And that's what happens. And so that's a lot of life and history and a lot of cities in there. But I can still clearly read uh, the column to the side there in chapter two. And I don't know, do you have a Christmas story tradition at your house? We did uh, a lot of the years growing up here in Atlanta. One of my, our nieces would read the Christmas story sometime before we dove into all the presents. Do you ever do that? Like hold the kids off for a minute. We're going to read the Christmas story. And then someone, you know, usually you pick someone young and they read the tenderness of this passage. Anybody got a tradition like that? You're always trying to get that in the mix. Well, I, I think that, you know, sometimes for me, we'll hear a story like this so many times that it moves sort of into urban legend and it moves beyond the reality of what it really is. And so for the next few weeks, what I would love to do, and what's really been blowing my heart up, is I would love to break down the Christmas story. Because if we started, I don't know if you could get every single bit of it, but if I got you going today, most of us could get about 80% of it out there. But I want to stop, take a step back, look at what God is saying to us, and let him shape our hearts today in the midst of this story. And here's why. Because in the season of Advent, we are celebrating the faithfulness of God. That's what Advent is all about. It's a season of expectation leading up to Christmas, which is the fulfillment of the promise of God to his people. A promise that for a while looked like it had no shot. But in the right time, at the right place, God came through. And here's what I believe. I believe in our house today, we have people who need more than a Christmas story. They need the hope that God is going to come through for them. Is there anybody like that in this gathering today? You're thinking, you know what, Louie, Christmas is amazing, but I'm not even thinking about Christmas right now. I need God to come through in my life in my heart, in my thinking, in my emotions, in in our house, in our relationships, in my business, whatever is going on, we need God to show up and to do something only God can do. And I think that's the reality of life. And that's why I love coming today to worship a sovereign God. Now, that's a big theological word, but sovereign just means that God is running history and he's running the world and he's running your life, and he's running my life. You know, I saw somebody quoting this week, and I thought, man, right on to it. They said, if you want to reduce the anxiety in your life, stop watching 24-hour news channels and stop listening to talk radio. Because these, these things are addictive. You know why? Because chaos sells. So if you've got a news channel, you can't be saying, hey man, life's good. Passion City Church, they're giving away 29,000 books to the public school kids of Atlanta, Georgia. Be like, okay, that's great. What sells is the world is coming unhinged today. Climate change, we might not even be here for Christmas. Santa is in trouble. The reindeer are hot. Everything's upside down. And, and it's true. I mean, in a global world where we can see our neighbors in an instant in continents and places where we only used to be able to read about, people can convince you in a 15-minute segment on a news talk radio show before you can get from Alpharetta to Perimeter Mall, you can be convinced America is going down today. The history of the world is coming to a stop tomorrow and the sky is falling down. But here's the interesting thing, and I'm not knocking news talk radio and I'm not knocking 24-hour news channels. Here's the thing, tomorrow they're gonna sell us another story because the chaos of today only sells for today. And that becomes our water cooler conversation for today. And then we need a new one for tomorrow. And these stories have legs. That's the way they say it in news parlance. 
They get legs and they move and they walk and they just keep on going. And they build into our psyche this sense that everything's unraveling at the seams. And I think it's true that if you want to lower your anxiety, that's a simple way to do it. Just turn it off for a, a day, for a week. It's for a week. Say, look, I need to know what's going on. Well, great. I, I do and you do as well. But we can usually get that in four headlines. I don't need somebody to tell me about it for four hours. And we need to circle back around this idea that we are connected to a sovereign God. And this sovereign God is in charge of our lives. Now, today is maybe the simplest message of the year, but potentially the most powerful import of the year. That we are connected to a sovereign God who is in charge of our lives. And this is the story of Christmas. And I don't know if you've got headwind coming, but here's what I want to remind us of today. Some of us are in storms. Some of us are going to storms. And praise God, some of us just got out of storms. But there are no lives without storms. And the storms will pass. And the sovereignty of God will come through for you. I was thinking all this week about this message. And um, I was thinking back to one of the passion gatherings we did in 2003. We're about to do three passion gatherings in January, late January, February. And we've been doing these gatherings for about 18 years now. And we did two big outdoor gatherings. Anybody remember these? I know you've been to counseling if you remember them. But um, we did a big outdoor gathering in the year 2000 outside Memphis, Tennessee, about 40,000 university students. And then we did a big outdoor gathering three years later in Sherman, Texas, north of Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, and I, you know, here's the thing. Don't do big outdoor events. That's the, that's the lesson you learn because the weather always stacks up against you. And so we had invited students to come to Sherman, Texas from all over America, camp out on a guy's ranch. We were going to gather, pray, seek God, worship God, believe God for this generation. And students were pouring in. About 10,000 had arrived the night before the official night kickoff of Passion one day, 2003. So there's already 10, 12,000 students in tents on this ranch and others are just coming by the droves. There's a registration line winding down a long country road of a mile or two of cars checking in. And then all of a sudden in the night, this first night, before anything's really happened, people are just arriving and camping. The storm blows up like it only can in Texas. And some of you guys have been out in that part of the world. It just comes this fast. And all of a sudden, about 10 o'clock at night, it starts to rain. And the, the weird part of it was, is that we had a gathering going on in this tent that we had built for prayer for our leadership team. We were in there together praying for one day, 2000. And we had our community group leaders there, our worship leaders there. Some of the speakers were there. We had a lot of spiritual horsepower in this tent. And it was a tent that you would have imagined, you know, kind of, uh, I think we had some sort of foundation of a floor, but the flaps on each side kind of could open and blow in the wind. The, the top was pretty sturdy. And all of a sudden it started to rain a little bit. And then the wind started to blow a little bit. And then it started to rain a lot bit. And I mean, and within 15 minutes, it was raining like like Noah's flood raining. I mean, it was coming down sideways wind, blowing into this thing. And so as we're praying, we, we started to be drowned out by the thunder and the lightning that were just going off all around us. The wind, the rain, everything's getting more intense. And so finally, everybody kind of realizes, whoa, we need to shift into spiritual mode here, spiritual beast mode, if you will. And we need to start talking to the wind and the rain because that's what Jesus did on the Sea of Galilee. And that's what we're about to do right now in Sherman, Texas. So you got to remember, there's a couple dozen heavyweight spiritual people in this tent and somebody let out. I don't know who it was. You know, Peter walked out on the water and said, I just say in the name of Jesus, we just command the wind and the rain to stop in Jesus name. And a few people joined in. Yes, in Jesus name. And I mean, all of a sudden now we're like fighting back against the wind and the rain and all the attitude changed and everybody's like, yeah. And the little praise God come on our gathering turned in. Hey, we're going to fight you. And I mean, we were going 
after it. And about the time that the volume kind of got for a moment above the howling wind, where we could even hear ourselves telling the wind to stop, a gust of wind picked up the tent and it just kind of levitated for a second, not real high, but you know, just high enough that we were like, uh Oh, we need to get out of here and get into cover and take shelter. And I mean, people just started going every direction. It's like, yeah, wind in the rain. Yeah. We'll get back to you. I got to get some cover right now. And I can laugh about it now. It was not funny then at all. I'm not kidding you. It, uh, they, they said a cell stopped on top of us, not red, not orange, not yellow, purple. Apparently there's something called purple. And the purple part sat on top of the ranch we were at from about 10 o'clock until about 5 a.m. Kids tense, gone. Kids sitting out in the pasture, just in the rain, in the dark. No kidding. I'm not, you're laughing. I mean, you know, you weren't in one of those tents. I mean, all of a sudden you're a little, hey, we got our little tent. It's cool. Oh, this is great. We're at one day. <laughs> tent gone, you know? No tent, just in the rain. Lightning struck. People got struck by lightning. The place turned into a quagmire. Shelly and I were in an RV in the middle of this thing, not far from where that tent was just the flapping like crazy by this time, on our faces, sobbing to God. We've poured a year of our lives with our team into this moment. And we're saying, God, please, we're going to wash us off the property. And the rain subsided enough by seven o'clock that we sloshed our way up to this little headquarters trailer. And our board of passion, circle of a half dozen men, stood in that trailer, mud up to our knees, just from walking up to this thing. And we're standing there looking at each other in this circle going, what are we going to do? Now, now, let me just remind you, there's no texting. There's barely any, any internet. There's no tweeting. There's no, let's Instagram something. I mean, you got to call your programmer who runs your website in Oklahoma and wake him up and say, we need an update on the website. Can you do that? And we're standing in this trailer 10,000 kids on the property. No, nobody can walk on the property, much less another vehicle come on it. And a year's worth of dreams and hopes and prayers for a gathering of this generation just hanging in the balance. And I think that's, I think that's real life. And I want to try today, and I know some, I, I'm, so, I'm making a little pushback today. But I want to try today to wrap the Christmas story around real life. The kind of real life where sometimes you say, we're going to command the wind and the rain to stop and the tent goes up off the ground. And people say, we'll get back to you. But for now, we need to get in in, in like a low-lying spot. And I think that's where a lot of us live life. And I think that's where the gospel is the most powerful. Because in that moment, we have something so solid. And it's found right here in the opening lines of this story. I read all the way down to the end just to refresh us, but it begins this way. It says, in those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Parentheses. This was the first census. This is where the kids always stumble. This is always the fun part. That took place while, long pause, <laughs> parent, Qu- Qu- I don't know, honey, what, what is his name? Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, 
the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was, say it with me, no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> well, let's break it down. And if we break it down, we're going to break it down from the top. And here's where we're going to start. Verse 1. In those days. Can you say that with me? In those days. I want you to say it with me because this is where we're breaking it down today. In those days. That's the message today. I love it. I never stopped there before. But that's the whole message today. In those days. And I've just been staring at those days because those days are going to inform for us the truth and the reality that's going to free us, hopefully, in our lives, in our storm, in our wind, in our waves right here today. And so let me talk about those days. Can we just do a little history together? Uh, is that okay at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning? Anybody? Any, one person maybe even? One, just one person? Yeah, I know there's one history person out there. In those days, let me tell you a little bit about those days. In those days, the Roman Republic was the bastion of political power. But in 44 BC, Julius Caesar, we've heard of him, was assassinated because in the Roman Republic, there was always unrest and assassination, poisoning, stabbing people was a part of the fabric of the day. And so in 44 BC, Julius Caesar is assassinated. He doesn't have a direct descendant heir, but in his will, he has adopted as his heir someone who was born in 63 BC, birthday, September 23rd, 63 BC, a little baby is born into the ruling elite family of the Roman Republic, and his name was Gaius Octavus. And Gaius Octavus was adopted in Julius Caesar's will, Julius Caesar being his great uncle, as his heir apparent. And so on the death of Julius Caesar, Gaius Octavus, of us was now put into a leadership position in the Roman Republic. And when that happened, his name was changed to Octavian. Okay, we're doing so good, good on our history so far. Awesome. Some of you are ahead of me on that. You already knew for 200 Roman rulers, Octavian. Good answer. Um, now double jeopardy, you know, so some of you are already ahead of me there. Octavian in 43 BC, just, we'll just go a little ways together. He formed the second triumvirate in Rome. And what he wanted to do was settle the score of the assassins of his great uncle, Julius Caesar. And he wanted to consolidate power. And he did this with two other people. Mark Antony, not to be confused with Mark Anthony. Um, Mark Antony and Lepidius. And these three be became sort of the ruling elite of the day. Now, it all started to break down in 40 BC because Mark Antony, who had 
Well, we married in that year Octavia, which was the sister of Octavian, who was the great uh, uncle nephew now of um, Julius Caesar and was now in a leadership position. So Mark Antony marries Octavia, the sister of Octavian, but then he divorces her. And who does he marry for 400? Queen Cleopatra of Egypt. And this is where things get a little bit dicey. And all of a sudden now, new people are in the story and parcels of the Roman rule and reign are being passed down to other people now who've married into the story. Did you have that at Thanksgiving, anybody here? Like there were some people there that like married into your story and the story was going pretty good until they arrived. And then apparently, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. So, and I wasn't saying we have that in our story. I was just asking if you had that in your story. We're we're good. Um, But so... So Antony divorces Octavia and marries Queen Cleopatra of Egypt. And now there's a lot of division in the camp. And at the end of the day, our guy, Octavian, has to defeat all of the divisive factors. It ends with Mark Antony and Cleopatra committing suicide. There's a battle and there's a victory in 31 BC. And Octavian sort of solidifies power in this moment. In 27 BC, the Senate in Rome gives him the name Augustus. And the name Augustus means the exalted. And so Octavian goes to Augustus and he has a title that says to him, you are the exalted one. And from that moment on, Augustus begins to expand the territory of Rome. This was the beginnings of the Roman Empire. And he was the first emperor of Rome. Now we're transitioning from republic to empire. And he's now the first emperor. The peace of Rome comes. And after a century of civil war, There's a season of peace within the Roman Empire. He expands the reach into all parts of Europe, down around the Mediterranean, into Africa. And now the Roman Empire has got a big reach. And somewhere along the way, about 4 to 6 BC, Augustus, who is the exalted one, decides, now that we've got a new day forward for Rome. I want to know how many people are under my rule. And so in Rome, he issues a decree. I want everybody under my rule to be registered, to be counted, and to have to pay some little fee to have that happen and to be taxed in the Roman world. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Now, if that had been covered by 24-hour news, we'd all be on medication. Think about it. We got assassinations. We got triumvirates. We got marriage. We got divorce. We got family splits going on. We got infighting. We have a battle. We have world domination. We got countries being annexed. We got territories being taken over. We got a man gets a title called the exalted and he's got the power to stamp a census out on so much of the known world of that day, the civilized world. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. And the decree was specifically carried out by Quirinius who was in rule in Syria after some other turmoil and political upheaval that had happened in that region that you can read about and you can do the research yourselves. And so we got the most powerful man in the world issuing a non-contested executive order and decree that's carried out by his person on the post in Syria. And now... Everybody in the region gets a notice. You got to show up at the place of your origin and you've got to register you and yours 
under the rule of the exalted, Caesar Augustus. In those days, <laughs> the Christmas story begins. Do you know what I love about that? That God works in those kind of days. So if you're looking for smooth sailing for God to work, it's likely that that's not going to happen. But if you've got a lot of upheaval going on and the tent is coming off the ground, it's a good shot that God is on the move and that's the place we need him to invade the most. In those days, what are your days today? What kind of days are you living in right now? Well, in those days, a decree went forth. And when that happened in Rome, 3,000 miles away, a couple named Mary and Joseph got impacted by that decision. Now, who are Mary and Joseph? We already know who they were. They were a couple engaged to be married. They were living under an amazing story. She's pregnant, and I didn't do it. An angel of the Lord appeared to her, and God Almighty has conceived a child in Mary's womb. That's our story. Imagine if that was on News Talk Radio. How many satellite trucks would have been in their yard? But without that, there was a cloud. They lived 70 miles from Bethlehem. And so at some point in the latter stages of her pregnancy, they had to make a 70-mile, four-day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We, we know when they got there that in those days, it, it may not have been the day they arrived. They might not have rolled in past the city limits of Bethlehem, and she said, okay, I'm having a baby right now. It just says, and while they were there. They could have been there a day. They could have been there a week. We don't know how long they were in Bethlehem, but we do know that when the baby was born, it was born in a manger because there was no room for them in an inn. I'll just tell you, if you want to dig down under the original language, it could have said there was no room for them in the guest house of their relative, but nonetheless, what we do know for a fact is that the baby was born in a manger. So it could have been a hotel said, we have no vacancies. It could have just said their family said, we really don't have room for you. But whatever the case was, she delivered in Bethlehem, 70 miles away from all the support system of home under crazy circumstance where everybody's Blood pressure was up because the oppressors of Rome were now taxing people 3,000 miles away. And, 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 and an uprising was beginning in the region where Mary and Joseph were registering their family. And all of this uncertainty is framing the story of Christmas. It's crazy. In those days, in those days. So we had the story of Rome. We had the story of a couple, but here's what's really crazy. This is the story of you, and this is the story of me. You say, well, what are you talking about? Well, if we go to the very end of the section we read in verse 14, this is the way it concludes. And that great company of the heavenly host, they were praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men. Now, now, that's not a men and women thing. That's mankind. That's you and me. We are in the story. When the heavenly host appeared, they said, glory to God in the highest and peace to, to you, <laughs> to, to mankind. An announcement of heaven was made that night, not to Mary and Joseph, not to Caesar Augustus, not just to shepherds in the field, but an announcement was made. Excuse me, can I have the attention of mankind? This is the heavenly host speaking now. Glory to God in the highest. And to all of you, peace has come. Peace has come to all men on whom the favor of God rests. And in those days, God brought peace. In those days, God announced peace to you and to me. So what's the story? Well, it's one big takeaway and an application. 
And the takeaway is simply this, that man may make decrees, but God decides history. Caesar Augustus, the exalted. Now, Augustus died in 14 AD, and once he died, he was exalted and deified and worshipped as a deity by the people of Rome. But what Augustus did, hello, was rubber stamp the divine plans of God. Because God was using the most powerful person on earth through his regional power, Quirinius, to usher in and make a way for the prophecies of a Messiah to be fulfilled and for Christmas to come. Thank you, Caesar Augustus, the most powerful person in the world for calling out all of the people of the Roman world to be registered so that Mary and Joseph could get to the right town at the right time for the baby to be born, for the promise to be fulfilled, for the prophecies to come true, and for our Savior, the Messiah, to be born at the right spot on the right day for the salvation of the world. Thank you, Caesar Augustus, for issuing that decree. Way to go. Way to go. A guy sitting in Rome going, here's what we're going to do, people, and nobody can contest it. And God's going, I know they're not going to contest it, but I'm running it. I'm running it. Man makes decrees, but God decides history. I love the way Paul wrote this in Galatians 4. This is what is happening in our lives right now, all around you and all around me. And as we move into this Advent season, it's different for everybody here, what we're waiting on, hoping for, what our storms are, what our winds are. But this is what's happening around us. It was happening that night in Bethlehem. It says in verse 4, Galatians 4, but when the, the time had fully come, we just think about those two words together? Fully come. Not a day too soon, not a day too late. But when the time had fully come, what time? God's time. The time God decided. When that time had fully come. Now, there was probably a lot of days where you and I would have pressed the panic button and said, it may not be fully time, but it's close enough to time. Let's get a baby down here. But God said, no, the time has to fully come because there's a precise plan in place. That's what I love about this. It's not sort of, you know, helter skelter. Well, it's close enough. Let's get them to Bethlehem. But God had a very precise, specific plan in mind. So when the time had fully come, God sent his son just at the right time. And what I've learned in my life is the right time is typically not my time. But I've never known God to not be on time. And looking back, it was always the right time. Looking forward, it was rarely my time. But I have never known God to not be on time. And looking back, it was always the right time. So when the time had fully come, God sent his son. It's everything lined up. Be born today. Stars are aligned, literally. They're moving. The celestial body is organizing so that in a couple of years, the worship of Jesus will begin. Be born today. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. You know, Caesar's plan, man's plan, was to tax us. And God's plan was to cancel our debt the whole time. And the decree of man said, you're going to pay up. And the plan of God said, no, Jesus is going to pay it all. At just the right time, in the fullness of time, 
God sent forth his son. You know why? Because man may make decrees, but God decides history. What does that mean today? It means there may be people that look like they're shaping your very existence, but they are not in charge of you. Ultimately, they are not in charge of you. You say, well, no, they are, because if if this thing goes down the way it's looking like it's going down, stuff's going to happen. Well, stuff happened when it went down for Mary and Joseph. They saddled up and headed to Bethlehem. It was a real event. They really did have to move out and move on, and they really did get put in a very precarious situation, but all the while, God was still working. And that's what we got to remember today. When the wind and the waves roll in, we may speak to them, and I don't know, sometimes they may stop. The wind and the waves may stop, but sometimes the tent may come off the ground. But here's the thing. The storm doesn't last forever, but the sovereignty of God does last forever, and it rules forever, and he's ruling your forever. And nobody in no circumstance is in charge of our lives today. God is in charge of our destiny. So what's the application? Simple. It's for us to believe today. And I'm going to ask you this today. You need, and I need to step into this today. Do you believe that this is not a story, but this is your story? If it's the Christmas story, it's not really going to help you in your storm today. It's just going to be something that the kids read while you're sitting back about to crater. It has to move from being the Christmas story to being your Christmas story. And we have the advantage that Mary and Joseph did not have. The Magi did not have. Herod did not have. We have the advantage of history and being able to look back on the story and going, can you believe it? Sovereign God at work in the lives of people. Ruling rulers and ruling history. And this is our story, not just the story. And if it is our story today, then what is the result in our lives today? It is confidence in the chaos. It's confidence in the chaos. We're not shouting down the chaos today because you wouldn't buy that. If I offered you a platitude today, you wouldn't buy it. If I offered you a sentiment today, you wouldn't buy it. You would say, dude, I appreciate your heart and I love your intent, but the, 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 the tent is coming off the ground. I need more than a platitude. And when we lean into the reality of this being our story, it puts confidence in our hearts in the chaos. And we don't deny the chaos and, you know, I don't know where this fits into your, your theology, but for me and our family, there have been days where the more we leaned in in the name of Jesus, the more the chaos went crazy. Never been there? And you thought, I'm not doing something right. I'm not saying something right. I don't know something right. Maybe Louie knows something. I don't know. Maybe the church people know something, I don't know. But there's times when you can get the, the most horsepower you can get at an event in a tent and everybody runs for cover. Because sometimes God is just ruling. <laughs> He's ruling. And sometimes the wind's gonna blow. But all the time, God blows the wind. So confidence settles into our hearts. And that, I believe, is the distinctive of Christmas for us. It's not just that we're a little nicer in the mall. I hope we are. I hope nobody punched anybody (laughs) over the weekend. 
But if you watched that 24-hour news, you saw all the people that got punched. It could have only been six, but we saw all six of them. I don't really know how bad it was because I'm not out there. Um, we were in a town of 1,500 people, so, you know, it wasn't going to get too crazy. But I, I don't know how many Walmarts had a fight, but I do know a couple did because we saw them, read about them over and over and over and over. Every time we turn on the television, those same people were laying on that flat screen TV. <laughs> did you see that? And what did you want to do? I just wanted to buy them all a TV. I don't even know if I can afford that. I just want to get in and go, hey, I got it, I got it, don't worry. All four of y'all are getting a TV. Can we just move on out of the aisle so the rest of us can get back to housewares? You know, we're trying to be civil here. I don't really know how crazy it got because 24-hour news will tell us that everywhere you went and every store you went in, people punch people on Friday. And a lot of you didn't go out because of it. You're like, I don't want to get punched. I don't want to get in a fight. I don't want to get arrested. I don't want to lay on a TV. I'm just going to stay here at the house because the world's coming unhinged around the globe right now, and I'm just going to sit here and wait till Jesus comes. But at the bottom of it all, the distinctive for us isn't just being a little nicer in the mall. It's not that we have a nativity scene on the TV. The distinctive is that we have confidence in the chaos of the world. And we don't look like a pinball being batted left and right by the flippers of the circumstances of this world. That we say, yeah, it is crazy out there. It is legitimately crazy out there. Don't misunderstand. It is legitimately nuts all over the world right now. But guess what? I have confidence that my God is running history. And these people, whoever they are and whatever they think their power is, whether it's on Wall Street or somewhere on Main Street or it's on the other side of the globe, they are rubber stamping the decrees of God's heavenly plan. They are not upsetting God's heavenly plan. And you say, well, I just don't know how God can use some crazy things that are happening in the world. Look, the whole world's broken. It takes a sovereign God to take the broken pieces of our world and to weave them into the salvation story of heaven on earth. This is the miracle power of God. And the result of it is is this in our lives. I want to encourage you today. A, there is a plan in motion. Like, I don't see it. I know, no one came to Mary and Joseph on the way to Bethlehem and said, I know this is like a crazy journey. I know it's four days and I know you're pregnant. I know this is nuts time for you guys. And I know, you know, unrest is happening all around you. There's rumors of revolt happening in Galilee. But hey, guess what? God's working. And y'all are gonna be on everybody's mind for the rest of history. Y'all are going to be in Christmas plays all over the world. (laughs) Mary, you're going to look amazing in every one. Joseph, you're going to look a little stiff and staid. But you're going to be in nativity scenes in people's front yards in Peachtree Hills. This is big. No, this is big. This is big. Nobody told him that there was a plan in motion. And maybe nobody's told you there's a plan in motion. So today God is reminding you there is a plan in motion. Secondly, he's wanting to remind you today that you are a part of the plan. You are not forgotten in the plan of God unfolding. And thirdly, he wants to remind you today that the result of that plan is simply this, his glory and a surpassing peace in your heart because he wants to remind you that even though the wind may be blowing, you are favored of God. So what's gonna come out of this storm? What's gonna come out of the tent coming off the ground? God's gonna get glory as you trust him. You're gonna have a surpassing peace no matter what the chaos is. And you're gonna know at the end of it when the storm passes, I was favored of God in a chaotic world. I was favored of God. Job says it this way. You know, Job's life went off the rails in human thinking. It's a theological step up 
It's a journey through Job. It is not candy land. And it is all the unpacking of the sovereignty of God. And it, it really is, you know, a step up from our ability to really fully grasp because God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's not like us. He doesn't have an IQ of 140, 180. He's not a little smarter than Einstein. He's other. He spoke the world. He spoke creation. He's in charge of time and history. He decides when things start and he decides when things end. He was there on the first day. He knows the last day. And the world will come unhinged on the very day God has decided that a new heaven and a new earth are on the agenda for that day. And so I don't want to be careless. Carelessness is not the way you respond to the sovereignty of God. You don't just sit back and go, well, you know, God's in charge. God's running everything. I'm just going to sit back and live a life of sort of carelessness. No, it is confidence that God's in charge. And at the end of it all, and there was a lot of all in those days of Job, a lot of all in the days of Job, the tent went off the ground and the lightning struck all around. And at the end of it, this is what he said, last chapter. Then Job replied to the Lord. Here comes confidence. I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? And surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. In other words, I started talking too fast, God. I started explaining to you too much. I started trying to to solve problems for you that I didn't really even understand what was going on. I mean, you you asked the question instead of me going, I don't know, you're God, you're sovereign, you're in charge. I believe you and I trust you because you've given your very life for me. You sent a baby in a manger for crying out loud to be salvation for the entire world and to bring peace into the chaos of my life. That baby was born, walked a perfect life to Calvary, gave his life for me as an expression of the love of Almighty God was dead and buried and raised up from the dead by the power of God and raised me up from my sin by the power of God. You are God and I am not. You run the world. I don't run the world. You know everything. I know very little. You see it all. I see in part. Therefore, you answer your own questions. I don't know. I don't know. But I trust you. Because I got a story. It's called in those days. The exalted made a decree so that my God could save my life. I trust you. He said, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. And then listen to the way he ends. He says, my ears had heard of you. Hello? My ears had heard of you. I'd heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself (laughs) and repent in dust and ashes. The way my friend would say it, I will go now and light myself on fire. Not literally. But you know what, God? Who am I? Who am I? It's crazy and it's chaotic. But I have a story, and that story is birthing confidence in me. So one of our board members said, after a lot of real discussion, like, well, let's look around. Uh, we can't walk. We, 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 we literally were losing our boots in the mud trying to walk up here. The, the, the mud's just sucking the shoes off our feet. It's still raining. People's tents are destroyed. 3,000 people slept at the gym of the local high school last night because they were stuck in a registration line until the sheriff came and just directed the entire several miles line of traffic to a 
public school that they open the door of in the middle of the night and just let people come in in the driving rain. I went with them. I, I was there, saw it. People getting from their car into the gym. I'm talking about every ounce of you and whatever you had with you, completely soaking wet, kids rolling out, sleeping bags on a gym floor, and two or 3,000 of them, that was their night. There's no way to get word out. There's nowhere to tell people to don't come that way. There's no way to communicate. And we just stood in that circle. And I remember just pausing after a lot of real discussion and just standing there and waiting on God. And one of our teams said, I think we go forward. And for whatever reason, we all said, yeah, let's just give it the morning, see what happens. I'll speed up and tell you the end of the story. Four o'clock that afternoon, this is legitimately real. There is no preacher embellishment in this. There's enough people that were there that will tell you. At four o'clock that afternoon, I was standing outside that trailer waving to students driving past the trailer onto the property on a roadway that was hard as this tabletop. Praise God we weren't in Georgia in red clay, but we were in Texas in sandy soil. And the same wind that blew in the storm was the same wind that dried up the ground when the rain stopped. And the next day, a holy gathering happened. There's only maybe 23,000, 24,000 students there. We don't know how many turned around and went home. But I know this, it was a holy moment. The song, Holy is the Lord, God Almighty, was birthed on that field and sung for the very first time. Beth Moore stood to speak and she said as the temperature had dropped with that wind that blew through about 30 degrees and we were all covered up with whatever we had on a May day, she said, maybe it was just the kindness of God because we all look a little more modest here today. And maybe all of that thunder and lightning was the answer to our prayers of God. We just want to see We left there, and because of all that craziness, we ended up with a $100,000 gap at the end of that gathering. We walked off that field because we're, we think maybe 10,000, 15,000 people turned around in the storm. And seven days later, in a miraculous way, at a wedding reception in Houston, Texas, God provided all 100,000 in a two-minute conversation that blew our minds to the faithfulness of God. And now the stories, I meet people all the time who say God called me to Africa on that field in Sherman, Texas. God set me on a course on that field in Sherman, Texas. And everything I have done in my life traces back to that one day 2000 gathering. The storm came, but the storm went the sovereignty of God remained the whole time 